And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then the thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning. And we trust that you are here in our midst. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Please sit. This gospel lesson really hits you like a slap in the face this morning, doesn't it? Uh, There we were, minding our own business, enjoying our summer and fall trip through Luke, listening to Jesus' teaching, and then bam, he's on the cross, right at the part of the passion story where we all stand in silence. And it's so stark. When they came to the place that is called the Skull They crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. How is it that we're here now? Isn't this a Palm Sunday or Good Friday reading meant to be read in April after we've had all of Lent to sort of prepare ourselves and get ready for it? Well, today is Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of the church year before we start afresh again next week with Advent. And the church has chosen this Sunday to set aside, to celebrate Christ the King. And we read this reading, I suspect, because of that placard that hung above Jesus on the cross. This is the King of the Jews. And if you were listening, you probably noticed that Christ's kingship is a running theme in our readings this morning, perhaps most evident in the imagery used by St. Paul in his letter to the Colossians, a very different imagery, you'll note, than a dying man with a placard hung above him. St. Paul writes, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. That is a more traditionally awesome description of a king. And these are the kinds of things that we normally think of when we think of kings first, greatest, Head, powers, rulers, that's a king. And Jesus is that kind of king. We're used to royal families, a world in which kings are people who ask for stuff and who get what they want. I uh, watched a movie recently that was about some of the complicated relationships in Queen Anne's palace in 18th century England. And one of the running jokes of this movie was that Queen Anne would ask for ridiculous things that everybody would have to do for her because she was the queen. She had spoken, and it must be done no matter what. There's this one scene where she demands that a servant of hers who knows that he's not supposed to look at her, she demands that he do so. 
Look at me. Look at me. She screams at him over and over again. And when he finally looks, she says, how dare you? Now, obviously, this is not what Christ the king is like. But the image of royalty getting whatever they want is not too far off from what we naturally think of when we think of a king. And it's actually not inappropriate to think of that kind of obedience when we think of Jesus Christ. Because Christ the king asks for obedience too. In John chapter 14, he tells his followers that if they love him, they will obey his commandments. And we love him, so we set out to obey. Now, Jesus does not give us contradictory commandments like Queen Anne does, but the obedience he requires is even more radical. Anne's command is impossible to obey because you can't not look at her and look at her at the same time. But Jesus' commands are similarly profound. Love your enemies at all times and with all care. Don't look at a person with lust or envy or anger in your heart ever for any reason. And because Jesus is our king, Christ the king, we are to obey. But there's a key difference between Queen Anne and King Jesus. Well, there's lots of differences, not least of which that Queen Anne died of a stroke and Jesus died for the sins of the world. But another difference between the two is that Jesus's word is actually a creative word. His commandments, even as they show us our sin and force us to our knees, are at work shaping us. Christ the King demands a radical obedience, one that in our sin we are utterly unable to produce. And yet, we are not without hope. We need not despair. We are promised a Christ-likeness. We are told that the Holy Spirit will be at work in us, producing all of these things that seem impossible to achieve on their face. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. Honor, purity. How is this possible? How does it work? The only way that the radical obedience that Christ the King commands is possible is as a fruit of a radically changed heart. And that's where the other Christ the King comes in. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they were doing. The soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Christ the king wears two crowns. 
Yes, he wears a glorious golden crown as almighty king of heaven and earth. The king who demands and deserves obedience. The king we make every effort to obey. But this is not the king that Paul in Colossians and Luke in his gospel are at pains to remind us of this morning. Today, we have a picture painted of the king who wears a blood-soaked, thorny crown as redeemer of the world. Here's St. Paul. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. And Luke has this bloodied king using his final breaths to welcome a justly condemned thief into his kingdom. Now, Jesus is, and make no mistake about this, Jesus is a king who asks for our obedience. He asks us to love our enemies. He asks us to give away all we have. He asks us to follow him. And these requirements of Jesus are good and right and true. And we commit ourselves to this radical obedience. We read the scriptures. We pray. We ask the Holy Spirit to continue his reshaping work in our lives to bear his fruit in us. But we always remember Christ, the Redeemer King, the resurrection root that brings forth this good fruit. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding Jesus and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly. We are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, he replied, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. These words never fail to make the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. What a king this is. But this is a king that does not have the appearance of a king. We only know he's a king, in fact, if we are standing in that crowd because of that placard hung above his dying body. People are calling him a king, but it's obvious that they're doing it sarcastically. They dress him in a robe, but they mock him. They give him a crown, but it's a crown of thorns, and it digs into his head, causing blood to run down into his eyes. And yet it is this king who offers a dying thief paradise a place in his eternal kingdom. Jesus is two kings. On the one hand, he is a king of triumph and praise, the king 
Everyone should worship the king who demands and deserves our obedience. And on the other hand, he is a king hanging on a cross, promising a fellow condemned man a place at his side forever in paradise. The first king is a king who asks for things. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. The second is a king who offers something. Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And these two kings seemingly couldn't be more different. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is both of these kings. He is the almighty, the son of the living God. He is the suffering servant, the lamb sacrificed before the foundation of the world. How are they reconciled? How can they both exist in Jesus? Why did our king end up on a cross? Remember those words of the thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus. We indeed, he says, have been condemned justly. We are getting what we deserve for our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. The thief knows the bad news, right? He knows that the king who asks for obedience, when he doesn't get it, when he doesn't get enough of it, all he's got is off with their heads. The wages of sin is death. And as terrible as it feels, as badly as it hurts, the thief knows that it's right, that it's just. We are getting what we Deserve for our deeds. When the sum of our deeds deserves condemnation, it is then that we turn desperately for a different kind of king, a king who is hanging on a cross. And there is in this king no condemnation at all. Now, listen, we're not turning to get a second opinion or a ruling from a nicer judge. The facts of the case are not in dispute. Death is the deserved punishment for these deeds. It is the wages of sin. But these are not actually two different kings. There are not two Jesuses. Jesus is both the Almighty King and the Redeemer King. Because of that, he does not just love us just the way we are. Rather, he recognizes us the way we are. And gives himself in our place. And so we thieves hear the good news. Today you will be with me in paradise. The Redeemer King has stepped between us and the Almighty King. His life in place of ours. His goodness in place of ours. His faithfulness in place of ours. The off with their heads from the Almighty King is actually now meted out on the body of Christ the Redeemer King. This is why our Redeemer King is not a different king in another throne room or in another procession or in an office or on a beach or anywhere other than on the cross for the sins of the world. A king on a cross for you. In the eyes of Christ, the holy king, we have been condemned justly. 
But by the words and deeds of Christ, the Savior King, we will be with him in paradise. Today. Today, we worship Jesus, an almighty king. A king who has set a standard. A king who was there at the creation of the world, who hovered over the face of the deep before the sun and moon existed. A king who, as St. Paul says, in whom all things hold together and who is first in everything. King Jesus requires our obedience, our love, our faithfulness, and we offer it to him joyfully. But this King Jesus is also a suffering servant. He is the friend of sinners. He wears a crown of thorns. And as you cry out to him, he turns, looks at you, and loves you. He says to you, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen.